We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Daymore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Coming at you Tuesday night after the Wolves kind of spanked the Denver Nuggets. It was more lopsided than the final score of 130 to 115 suggests. The Wolves were up by 30 at one point in the fourth. A lot of garbage time there to close it. Just really a pretty dominant performance from the Wolves end to end. Uh, Topics tonight on on the show are going to include the Wolves bench. Uh, like I put in the title of the episode, this was the, the Torian Prince and bench game. We'll, we'll also talk some Kat Jokic, um, the return of Patrick Beverly to the lineup. We'll do some more Jared Vanderbilt talk. I feel like we talk about him all the time, but his offensive impact keeps expanding. We got to note that. Uh, I also got the chance to ask Nuggets coach Michael Malone about how Chris Finch has said that the the Wolves' defense is, that they installed this year is kind of a copy of what the Nuggets have done. And I thought Malone gave a really cool answer there, so I'll play that for you later. And then I also want to talk about Anthony Edwards and how I kind of came to the conclusion this afternoon that Ant deserves to be in the All-Star conversation. And, you know, we only have a couple days here until the until the teams are picked. So I, I kind of want to run through that, too, because it sort of surprised me. But like I said, got to start with the bench. Um, they're they're thriving lately, and that success the bench has had lately has oddly correlated to the time when first Patrick Beverly got hurt and then D'Angelo Russell got hurt, which is kind of counterintuitive, right? Like you would think two of your starters going down would men- mess up your bench because theoretically, you know, your two best bench players step in for your two injured starters, which I guess that has happened to some extent, like in the five games Beverly missed and the three D'Lo has now missed, we've seen different bench pieces plugged in and out of that starting group. Jade McDaniels has started some. Jalen Noel has started some. Malik Beasley started that one game. Jordan McLaughlin started one game. But what's been kind of interesting to me is no matter who the Wolves have had in that starting group, the Wolves bench five has found success and found success by playing a full group of bench players, all five. Uh, at the same time, no starters mixed in there with the, with the second unit, which you know we've talked about a lot this year about the how the rotation has been set up all season for D'Lo to sub out early in the first quarter and the third quarter so that he can get back in at 
you know, the start of the second and the fourth quarter to sort of lead the second unit, right? We've we've talked about that. That's the blending of the lineups that we've gotten used to this year. We've also talked about how, you know, despite D'Lo having a clearly overall positive impact this season and a very strong individual nut rating, we've talked about how the Wolves have struggled this year when it's D'Lo and four bench guys out there. So again, now it's kind of counterintuitive to think that you know, five bench guys are having success together. You know, if four of them were out there with D'Lo before, it, it, that doesn't seem to line up, but that but that's what's been happening. With D'Lo out these last three games, you know, he couldn't lead the second unit, so it's just been five bench guys. And tonight, those five bench guys were Jordan McLaughlin, Jalen Noel, Malik Beasley, Torian Prince, and Nas Reed. And tonight, in the nine minutes that those five shared the floor all together, the Wolves won those minutes by 18 points. You know, all other minutes, that means the Wolves were outscored. They lost the other, what would that be, 39 minutes of the game. That bench five tonight actually outscored the Wolves starters 66 to 64. And it was led by Torian Prince. Prince had 23 points tonight. He made six threes, had nine boards, two assists, two steals, and keep saying this, but this is a really good extended stretch from Torian Prince. Over the last seven games, which goes back to that Atlanta game where Beverly got hurt, Prince leads the team in net rating, and he's averaging, it's just 22 minutes a game, but he's averaging 22, or he's averaging 10 points per game, four boards, and he's shooting 59% from three and 76 from, from two over those seven games. I mean, he's only missed four twos, and he's not and he's not shooting all layups. I mean, he, he's getting it at all levels, including the mid-range. We saw that particularly tonight. The bench unit has has been great, but Prince is kind of the glue. In, in a way, he kind of feels to me like the starter in that bunch playing with four bench guys, kind of like the D'Angelo Russell role. Here's Finch after the game talking about this bench unit and also whether or not we can anticipate seeing the same group or the same sort of strategy once the Wolves are back at full strength with D'Angelo Russell. I feel like the bench is starting to kind of settle in as a unit with guys kind of understanding their identities within it. Yeah, I think so, for sure. Um, you know, we've we've kind of gone more to like a bench unit that doesn't have any mixed mixed uh, lineup component to it. Um, and they've really pushed ahead. You know, they've, t- they've taken some games and really pushed ahead in it. And uh, they know they got a good job. And, you know, it's they just move the ball because like they need ball movement and they play quick and they get out in transition and they really spread the floor. And it's super hard to guard at times. You anticipate staying with that even when he looks at I don't see why not, you know, um, you know, it gets a little trickier just to try to find some minutes for everybody. But, you know, at this point in time, we could probably do some minutes, you know, try to save minutes. So games like this, great. I can rest Vando, you know, I can rest Ant. These guys that kind of need some, need some break. I, you know, I get a chance to rest a little bit. Finch did bring up multiple times in his presser that Ant and Vando are a little banged up right now, specifically Vando. I think, again, sounds more like Ants is just fatigue. Uh, Finch did, said at one point that the way Vando plays is going to take a toll on him at some point. And I think we all agree with that. But if that toll was being taken tonight, you, you, you certainly couldn't tell. Vando was super active in this game, particularly early. He finished the night with 18 points and nine rebounds. And he only had to play 19 minutes to do so because, like Finch said, he was limited in his minutes. 
And Vanda was kind of the Wolves' offensive engine earlier in the game. Cat and others were consistently finding him in the dunker around the hoop early in the game. And it it wasn't just the Vando get an offensive rebound and put it back. He was catching the passes, making a move, and finishing around the basket. I'm pretty sure he took eight shots in the first seven minutes of the game. And I don't think you can undersell the value of Jared Vanderbilt being a part of the offense that you can proactively seek and profit from. We talked a ton at the beginning of the year of how it was so stuffy and got awkward offensively when Vanda would try to lurk between the paint and the corner on the baseline there and how it just made it so easy for opponents to send a second body at Cat, right? It was leading to a ton of Cat turnovers, offensive fouls, and just uncharacteristically unproductive post play from Cat, who has historically been one of the most prolific post players in the league. I mean, that's that just isn't happening anymore. Or that stuffiness is just far more infrequent. Finch often says the goal is to force the opponent to guard them legitimately. And that means having the opponent need to care about all five players on the floor. They didn't need to do that early on in the season, or they, they didn't do it early on in the season, and now, you know, they're having to. I asked Finch about what has gone sort of into this with Vando specifically, and I thought this was an interesting response and encouraging because it's it's clearly been working. How much uh, with Vanderbilt is it him being more assertive in those spots in the basket versus maybe looking you got the rest of the team and you proactively looking to get him the ball in the dunker spot under the basket and, and those sort of things. How, how is, I guess, just how has his offensive impact? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's not as so much a conscious effort to like try to get him the ball. We, we, um, earlier this month or last month, I guess it was, uh, we, we spent a lot of time working on like better dunker spacing. We felt, we felt that was something we weren't doing very well. Um, I think we're seeing the benefit of that right now with him. Uh, he's so good down there. He's so active. And we were really not very, you know, technically, technically we weren't really that that clean with it. So we were, now we're doing a better job. I think that's what we're seeing. And obviously with Cat's passing um, and the ability for guys to, you know, get to the paint with a little bit more spacing. That's also the other thing that helps is our spacing. So what, what is, what is better about your spacing? Is that, does that mean further towards the corner or like an angle? Uh, yeah, a little bit further out. You know, we were probably too tight, you know, down there um, and uh, just not not moving at the right time, you know, kind of picking our moments to move a little bit better. So. Finding answer there, answers there with Vanderbilt, I, I, I don't really know what to call it other than great coaching. I mean, this was a serious problem. Word was spreading earlier in the season. Teams were seeing on film that they could stall out the Wolves offense. You know, lurking off of Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt was neutralizing the Wolves' best offensive threat in Cat. Think back to that Orlando game earlier in the season with Mo Bamba lurking off of Vando and blocking Cat, who was guarded by Wendell Carter. And then it was a few games later, we were like, uh-oh, this is becoming a trend. They played the Clippers in those back-to-back games, and the Clippers put Batum on Cat and had Zubats come over to float near the rim off of Vanderbilt. And the Wolves got smoked in that Magic game in those two games against the Clippers. And that's why, like, through December, the Wolves the Wolves were a bad offensive team, and particularly bad in the half court. 
until the beginning of the season, until January 2nd, which was the end of the COVID time, the Wolves had ranked 26th in the NBA in half-court offense. Since January 3rd, when they got their whole roster back from COVID, the Wolves have the number one half-court offense in the league, 26th to 1st. And that's obviously not an accident. That's solving something. The Wolves' entire identity in those first months of the season was defense. Because if they didn't have their defense, if they weren't generating turnovers that led to fast breaks and points, they just weren't effectively scoring at all. And we remember defense was the main focus out of training camp, and the offense just came out of the gates just behind. After the game tonight, I asked Cat about how this has sort of progressed over the course of the year. Here's Cat. Well, you said in, in training camp that you know so much of the focus was was on the defense, and then at the end of the, de- the season, you know the defense is there right away. But then you're like, well, the offense wasn't. Um, the offense has, has been back here for sure for a month. Is do, do you feel like you've gotten to that point? that you kind of wanted to be at offensively and defensively with this team? Yeah, I think that for us um, early on in the year, our defense right away showed itself in preseason. It showed itself in training camp. First uh, games, especially, and throughout the season, it's been there. Uh, The offense was in Cancun taking a vacation for a while. So um, I'm glad that it showed up to work. And um, all of us are just playing really well together. I love the ball movement we're having. I love the – the energy that's in the basketball um, going around to everyone. I think everyone's getting not only uh, ball movements, not only just happening, but everyone, the passes are sharp and crisp and in shooters pockets. So um, offense is doing great right now. I love the cutting. I love uh, the kind of transition. When we're playing with transition. I think it's very hard to beat us. I think we have too much talent and too many great slashers on our team to not have such a great transition attack. So I thought tonight was a great job of <clears throat> doing that and uh, throughout the season um, lately our offense has been great because it's been generated from our defense the offense has just made a massive leap this month it's they're not only number one in half court offense since January 3rd when they got that roster back they're also number one in transition offense since January 3rd which all means the Wolves have the number one offense in the NBA by a mile this month the gap between the Wolves at number one in the number two Suns is the same as the gap between the number nine Celtics and the number 18 Blazers. It's big. And better yet, you know, I went to go check this. Like, you, you can't make the, oh, it's they're getting shooting luck argument. The Wolves are an average three-point shooting team this month. They've only made 35.8% of their threes. Before that, they were making 34.5% of their threes. We're looking at something that has the shapings of being an offense that could be sustainable. Which really, that's kind of what we thought this team might be offensively at the beginning of the year. And Cat's driving the bus. He he beat Jokic tonight. Jokic had a big statistical night, but Cat also had 24, 10, and 7 in 28 minutes. All right, we're going to quick hit a quick break here. But after the break, I want to talk about that sort of realization I had with Ant where and where he sort of stands in the all-star game hierarchy. We'll be back in a minute. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are back talking about the Wolves' 15-point win over the Nuggets on Tuesday. And before we get back to specifics about the game, I do want to do a quick little digression to talk about the All-Star team selections coming up on Thursday because I won't have another gamer pod between now and then to to kind of hit on this. And uh, over the weekend, I finally took some time to try and put together what I think the All-Star team should be or what it would make sense to be just actually making the list, running through the 12 names in the West who are most deserving of making the team. And in doing that, I kind of came to the realization about Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> like the reaction from everyone kind of across the board was so strong when Wiggins was named a starter. But I think kind of particularly in this market where, you know, Cat fans felt, you know, felt pretty justified to say that Cat was more deserving of being an all-star starter than Wiggins was. But I personally, I was kind of like, whatever, Cat's going to still make it. Fan voting always messes up the starters, yada, yada, yada. It doesn't really matter that Wiggins is starting over Cat. No, whatever, Cat will be an all-star. But what I've come to realize is that I think Andrew Wiggins being named a starter might cost Anthony Edwards a spot on the roster. And that's because if Wiggins hadn't been voted in by the fans, I'm not sure if he would have made the team at all. Which means, if you agree with that, that Wiggins is sort of taking the 12th and final all-star roster spot in the West. So let's, let's run through it. Um, because I don't think the 11 most deserving players in the West are really all that controversial. I think most people would say the most logical, reasonable West starting five is Jokic, Gobert, LeBron, Morant, and Curry. And remember, the actual starting five is Jokic, Wiggins, LeBron, Morant, and Curry. So just Wiggins for Gobert. But let's just say it's the more reasonable one. Jokic, Gobert, LeBron, Morant, Curry. Then from there, I think it's tough to argue that these aren't the next six. You know, in no order, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, Donovan Mitchell, Draymond Green, Carl Anthony Towns. So with the five and those six, that's that's 11, leaving one more spot open for a wild card. And, you know, if you go through the next tier of options, like Anthony Edwards is at a minimum firmly in the conversation. I think to me, that next group is Anthony Davis, DeJounte Murray, Desmond Bain, and Anthony Edwards. And, you know, obviously Davis from a skill set and pedigree standpoint is clearly the best, most impactful player from that group. But Davis has only played in 30 games this year. He's missed 21. You know, does that disqualify him by not reaching some sort of games threshold? 
I don't know, maybe. And if AD is disqualified, you know, then the conversation for that 12th spot becomes Ant, DeJounte Murray, and Desmond Bain. I mean, I don't know. You, you could you could maybe say Brandon Ingram, Shea Gildress Alexander, but I mean, even of that extended group, Ant is clearly on the best team of all those guys outside of Desmond Bain. And I think it's probably fair to say that Edwards has been better than Bain overall, or at least it's very close. To me, I just think Edwards might be at the top of that group, which means if that's true, he deserves the final all-star spot in the West. But the problem is that Wiggins already has that spot locked down by default of the fans having voted him in as a starter. So now because of that, we already got 12. And Ant's competition for a spot on the all-star roster becomes, you know, like Donovan Mitchell or Cat, and those guys definitely deserve it more than Ant does. It was just an interesting exercise because I didn't really think it was a big deal that Andrew Wiggins was named an all-star starter. Like, you know, happy for him. He's he's having a good year. But now as I run through this, I think his being named a starter is going to cost a more deserving player than he is of being on the team, like Edwards or Bain or Murray. They're not going to make it at all. And I guess the glass half full look or the, the opportunity still out there is that Ant is certainly in the conversation to be an injury replacement then. Maybe even the most deserving of being an injury replacement of all those guys. It's the same sort of list. And it certainly looks like Draymond Green will need to be replaced. He's been out with an injury for a while, and I don't think it's getting reassessed till after the break. So that might be Ant's spot. Like Ant at least has a case to make the All-Star team. And I hadn't really thought of Ant as a deserving all-star previously until I actually went through and, and, and made this list. He's he's on that list somewhere right around 12. And if Wiggins wasn't holding one of those spots, you know, I think Ant might have gotten it. I don't know. Go make your own list if you disagree with what I just laid out there. But I think it's oddly one of those years where the top 10, 11 guys is, you know, is is pretty locked in. The West is oddly not very deep this year in that range. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, let's get back to the Wolves game tonight and just kind of where they've been. Specifically, I want to talk about the Wolves defense. Uh, in the, in this really, I, we should know, in, in this really hot offensive month, number one offensively, like their defense has taken a step backwards. They're, they're now down to 12th in defense on the season after being you know, ninth or 10th, depending on how you looked at it at the halfway point of the year. Um, they're, they're 18th in defense over this you know, January 3rd to now February 1st chunk of time that we've been looking at. But still, 12th on defense for the season is a mile ahead of where any of us expected this undersized and this historically poor defensive roster to be. I mean, we've talked extensively this season about how that defensive spike is due to the Wolves' completely changing their defensive scheme under Chris Finch in training camp. And we know that Finch said on the record that he wanted to emulate Denver's defensive strategy specifically in the changes that they were going to make. So tonight with Denver in town, I got the chance to ask Nuggets coach Michael Malone about this and how he's kind of seen the Wolves defense fair in, in a lot of ways in his team's image. And I, I just found this, I found this answer to be really cool from Malone. Here it is. 
Coach Chris Finch talked back in training camp about the, the defensive changes that he was going to make with this team. He kind of went off of what you got, the, the shift defensively you made, what is that, three, four years ago. How have you, have you recognized that in, in your scouting of them? And, and how have you, or why do you feel that the Wolves have had defensive success kind of mirroring a similar style of defense to what you guys run? Well, I'll say this, you know, um, and it's it's obviously always flattering when somebody may try to uh, emulate what you're doing. Um, but when I look at the T-Wolves, uh, I don't see anything close to what we do. And I mean that as a compliment. These guys are, are super long, athletic, very aggressive. Um, I think they're first in the NBA in points off turnovers. They're first in turnovers forced per night. They're top five in steals. Um, so I think schematically game plan, they may try to guard pick and rolls the same, but aside from that, man, this, this team, uh, and, and they dominated us on our home court last time we played. Um, and everybody talks about the 23 threes that they made in Anthony Edwards going for 10 or 14, but their defense has improved. And it starts with guys like Patrick Beverly on the ball, their wings, Jared Vanderbilt, McDaniels, they got just size and length and athleticism everywhere on the floor. And that's to me, what makes it, the hardest to try to score and execute against this T-Wolves team. To me, that's a, just a really interesting answer. And I, I think it's a good example of something I know I'm guilty of, and that's defining a team defensively by how they strategically defend pick and rolls, what their pick and roll coverage is. And that that's probably not right. I mean, pick and roll action might be the most common type of action in the NBA, but pick and roll coverage alone doesn't define defense. It's it's literally only the starting point. And it's an important starting point, and I think it helps outline what you're going to do, at least initially. But as we've come to learn with the Wolves, you know, so much of how they've had success defensively is driven by what they do behind the point of attack, how they rotate, how they get to their low man concept, and how they scramble into passing lanes. I think the better way to define the Wolves' defense is probably more simple rather than calling it you know, the high wall, low man concept, you can just call it an aggressive concept because yes, they're aggressive at the point of attack, but they're also aggressive behind the point of attack. And I think that's what Malone is getting at there. He's getting at the distinction between what the wolves do on the back line compared to what his team does there and what they generate out of it. And really that that's what makes the difference in the numbers. The wolves are 12th in defense this season and the nuggets are 16th. Not because they necessarily run different pick and roll coverages, but because the Wolves coverage, given their personnel and how aggressive they play it, it generates more turnovers. I mean, I'm not going to retire the Nuggets comparison. I, I do think on many levels there are corollaries there, but I am going to note Malone's distinction there. One, because he's just an actual basketball coach and knows a hell of a lot more than I do. But two, because I think everything that he explained their checks out logically. We see that with our eye test. We see the scramble. We see the turnovers. All right, let's close out tonight here with a few notes from tonight's game by kind of running through my prize picks for the night. Um, made four picks on the night, went two and two. The first one I got correct, I got correct early, and that was the over on eight points for Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, like we mentioned before, Vanderbilt had eight points in the first four minutes of the game tonight, so that one hit. It hit, I mean, it hit because the Nuggets are the worst rim protection team in the NBA. And Vanderbilt is becoming a player who can punish that. I also took the under on 47 and a half combined points, rebounds, and assists 
for Nikola Jokic. Uh, somehow that's what Jokic is actually averaging this season. He's averaging 26 points, 14 rebounds, and 8 assists per game. So I get this wasn't a bet on that being necessarily a ridiculous number. I mean, those are just Jokic's number numbers on the season. But I, I, think, I guess it was more so a bet on the sore toe and the fact that the Nuggets were on the front end of a back-to-back. And, you know, somehow I thought Jokic played, I mean, put up huge numbers tonight, but somehow I still did hit that under because Jokic finished with only 21 points, 16 rebounds, and eight assists in 30 minutes because I took the over on 47 and a half there. That total only combines to 45. So I got that one right, but Jokic is just still insane. Same type of bet. I took the under on 17 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. For Patrick Beverly tonight, you know, coming back on a minutes restriction from an injury, I thought we'd see, you know, Beverly's minutes restricted and kind of his production restricted as a product of that. Uh, the minutes were restricted and and he was in foul trouble, but Beverly still finished with 11 points, five assists, and two boards on the night. Combined total of 18 missed on the hook there, so you know we missed the under of 17 and a half by a hair. I also took the under on five and a half made free throws for Cat. I, I just thought that this would be a game where Cat would try and beat Jokic with space. That's sort of we, we saw the last time they played him, right? Like working from the top of the key, working from that mid-range nail area, and, you know, just trying to score over him. But, you know, Cat's attack game has been on lately, and, you know, it was again tonight. He only made one three, but he got to the basket uh, consistently, made seven twos and also made seven free throws on the night. So missed or under on that one, two and two on the night overall. That's now one Oh three 90 and seven for me on the season with these picks. I, I should go back and, and look at my numbers from Jane or whatever this January 3rd date month. Cause I, I know at one point I was definitely under 500 and now here what, 13 picks over 500. By the way, I, I hope those of you who have been playing along on prize picks are having some similar success or at least just having fun with the game. I'm certainly seeing more and more of you sending me screenshots of your, your prize picks before each game. And if you haven't yet tried prize picks, and if you want to, um, it's a super easy way to start playing some daily fantasy. And prize picks will throw you a $100 sign up bonus if you sign up and deposit using the promo code DANE, just my first name, uh, on the prize picks app or at prizepicks.com. Alrighty, the Wolves are over 500. They're 26 and 25. And they are entering a theoretically easy stretch in their schedule here. The next two are against Detroit, and the two after that are against Sacramento. The Pistons are just bad. They're 12 and 38 on the season. That's the second worst record in the NBA. And the Kings have lost seven straight games. So that's either... uh, a big old jinx or an opportunity, you know, for the Wolves to get on a little run here, make some space above 500. I, it's not just about who the opponent is. I mean, three of those four games are on the road. And I do think that even if those teams aren't great, they will be at full strength. I think De'Aaron Fox is coming back here shortly. So we'll see what happens there. Two at a time, I guess, two in Detroit, two in Sacramento. I'm going to try and watch the Pistons tomorrow morning. Haven't watched them in a while. So, when I have Britt on uh, Wednesday afternoon, I, I can hopefully talk about those next games, uh, at least somewhat educated. That's what's next on the docket for the Wolves. 
And tomorrow's show with Britt is what's next on the schedule for the pod. So look for that episode with Britt in your feed. Come out Wednesday evening. And then I will also be back to talk to you after Thursday's game against Detroit. And at that point, we will know if Cat and potentially Ant have have made the All-Star team. They announced those on Thursday night. I think it'll actually be announced while the Wolves are playing in Detroit. Plenty to get to with this team. Um, and we'll talk through more of it tomorrow with Britt. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.